Welcome to Eric Hurst's Training for Climbing podcast. Training for Climbing podcast. Training for Climbing. Training for Climbing. Training for Climbing. Hello everyone, I'm Eric Hurst from trainingforclimbing.com and I'm back after a two-month hiatus from the Training for Climbing podcast. No, I haven't been slacking, but yes, I have broken from that once-a-month podcast routine. And perhaps you've been wondering where I've been at. What have I been doing with my free time? Well, I've been working overtime, training overtime, getting ready for the new year, the new climbing season, and launching a new venture, something that's been in the works for a couple of years, and I'm going to tell you more about in this podcast. This will be the first episode in a series of probably three or four episodes on a new topic. We're going to break some new ground. I alluded to this in the past few podcasts, and now you're going to know where I'm going with this. The topic is sinew training. Now, what is sinew? Well, it's the tendons and ligaments. Tendons, of course, connect muscle to bone and ligaments bone to bone. With regard to a climber's hands, let's say, you have the finger flexor tendons that actually allow you to grip the rock. And the annular pulleys, those little pulleys in your finger that tend to get injured, are actually small ligaments. And so the topic here we're going to delve into in this podcast, kind of being an introduction to the next few podcasts where we'll really drill down deeply into the science and some of the new breakthroughs that can benefit climbers like you and I. Um, it's exciting stuff. It's something you've probably not really heard talked about much in the past. You know, there's a lot of climbers out there, myself included a few times over the years, that have dealt with some annular pulley injuries in the non-dominant ring finger most commonly, although they can happen in any finger, even the pinky. And then there are those pesky injuries that occur in the tendons of the elbows and shoulders. Really, if you train hard, if you climb hard, if you're passionate about this sport and give it all you've got or almost all you've got, uh, chances are you've bumped up against some pains and some aches and maybe even some injuries that have slowed you down or even stopped you from training and climbing for a period of time, which can be really frustrating if you love climbing as much as I do. And if you're listening to this podcast, I suspect you love climbing just as much as I do, perhaps more, who knows. So uh, in any case, this should be something that's quite exciting. And I'll tell you, there is new research to leverage here. I've been reading deeply on this topic the last couple of years, some new uh, research papers coming out of uh, just a small number of biophysics labs, one in California, one in Australia, a couple in Europe, that are doing some exciting work that I'm going to tell you about that kind of dispels the old myth that you have the tendons and ligaments you're born with, or that at least you enter adulthood with. That is not true, and we can, as climbers, as strength power athletes do things to improve tendon health, to make tendons and ligaments stronger and stiffer, which will increase performance and lower injury risk. And uh, even there are nutritional interventions you're going to learn about that can help promote sinew health and help 
recovery from workouts or from injury when it comes to uh, the tendons, ligaments, and even just generally joint health. Older climbers tend to develop achy joints as we get into our 40s and 50s and our muscles and kind of our whole body is slower to recover from hard days of climbing and training and all of these things we can exert an influence over. You know, we're so fond of talking about things we can do to strengthen muscle and nutritional protocols to help enhance muscular recovery. But the tendons, the ligaments, let's call it sinew because that's you know a nice term to kind of encapsulate tendons and ligaments together. Um, we can also play a role in how they respond to training. Um, so yes, it's exciting stuff and we're going to begin a three-month study or I'm going to try to roll these podcasts out every three weeks through the spring so that I can get this information out to you more quickly. Um, and so look at this podcast as kind of an introduction to the topic. And then moving forward in the next podcast, I'm going to tell you about my new venture, my new brand, Fizzy Vantage, which really came about organically as a result of my immersion into this exciting new research on sinew training and sinew health. And then in the third episode of this series, we're going to take an up-close look at training interventions, specifically what things you can do in the gym and even what things you can do at home that are quite simple and don't take a lot of time to improve your sinew strength, to improve recovery after workouts or after you've incurred a bit of an injury. And then in the fourth podcast of the series, we will look at rehabilitation strategies for injury and talk more about uh, the role of nutrition and just being very disciplined about engaging in rehabilitative training the appropriate amount to get you back up and climbing as soon as possible. You know, one of the worst things you can do when you get one of these injuries is just to stop climbing and stop training. Sure, it would be smart to take a few days off to rest the injured body part and assess it, but the more quickly you return to appropriate amounts of training to mechanically load the injured tissues, that actually is one of the crucial things for proper recovery. And uh, again, there's a lot of science to back up what I'm talking about here. This is not stuff I'm just making up. That's not how I operate. And in fact, I guess this is a good point for me to pause before we really dig into the meat of today's podcast to kind of introduce myself. Uh, if you're a new listener to the Training for Climbing podcast, um, if you're not familiar with me, uh, my name is Eric Hurst. And I've had a website for 20 years, trainingforclimbing.com. If you Google training for climbing, it's the number one thing that comes up. And, uh, and I've written uh, six or eight books on the subject that have many international translations. And I've done a slew of videos for my YouTube channel, for Epic Television. Um, I've done TV broadcasts and a, a lot of podcasting in recent years. And so I, I'm out there and I'm not just a coach and a climber, but I'm also engaged with the research community. In fact, I have one published paper, but I've also in recent years been speaking at a number of conferences. And so I'm able to have a relatively close connection with 
some of the doctors and researchers in the lab that are helping push the science of climbing forward, but me as a climber and coach also kind of knowing the other side of the coin, like how do we practically apply that information. And so I'm kind of fond of playing uh, a role of bridging that gap between the lab and the climbing gym and the cliff. And there's a few other people starting to do the same thing, which is great. Uh, The more we can get this new science out to climbers of the world, the better. You know, climbing had a long stagnant period, much of the 1990s into the, I guess, first decade of the 2000s, where there wasn't much new introduced to training for climbing. People kind of trained the same way. They just copied what other people did in the gym and with mixed results. Now in the last, let's say, five years, there's been a new enthusiasm. There are these new research studies, both climbing and non-climbing studies that we're able to look at and bring into play with regard to training for climbing, making climbers stronger and more robust to compete, whether it's in the World Cup circuit, at their local climbing gym, or just climb their best out on the crags and boulders of the world. And um, there's you know, like I said, several coaches that are uh, embracing this climbing science and putting it out there. And uh, and I've been really psyched to be kind of on the forefront of that whole process. Uh, in any case, my podcasts, though they are based on my 40 years of climbing experience, my 30 years of coaching and writing about training for climbing, I'm very much engaged in the research, reading well over 100 research papers per year, many of them not climbing related. I guess I'd estimate 10 or 15% are climbing research papers, but there is a lot of new training technology and a lot of exciting new science being developed outside of the sphere of the climbing world that needs to be brought into it. And that's something that I've done uh, and, and strive to do and continue to do going forward. You know, going back to maybe six or eight years ago, as I was preparing to write the third edition of my book, Training for Climbing, I was reading a lot of research, again, non-climbing research, relating to the different energy systems that are involved in athletic performance, the anaerobic alactic, the anaerobic lactic, and the aerobic energy system. And just getting a better understanding of what is going on inside the working muscle of a climber, both in the gym when training and at the crag when performing, allowed me and a couple of other coaches to really bring into play or develop energy system training protocols and really to form a conceptual model for how climbers can use an energy system conceptual model to organize the workouts and to make them more effective day in and day out, week to week, season to season, and year to year. There is really very effective methodology now available. And I first wrote about this uh, in a significant way in that third edition of Training for Climbing, which came out, I guess, three years ago now, back in 2016. I followed that up last year with a series of five podcasts. Um, It would have been last year at this time, so spring into summer of 2018 or winter into spring of 2018. If you haven't listened to those podcasts, they are gold. Go back and listen to them. If you're a beginner climber, it's probably a little too much information for you getting started. 
But if you've been in the sport a couple of years, if you're an intermediate climber, an advanced climber, an elite, a pro climber, then this is critical information for training more effectively, avoiding overtraining, avoiding interference between uh, differing workouts, and helping prepare you to, to climb and perform your best. And so go back and revisit those five podcasts because we broke a lot of new ground and in the months since those podcasts on energy system training and in the three years since my book came out, it's been really gratifying because I've heard from literally hundreds of climbers and quite a few coaches, some of them top international coaches who have listened to my podcasts. Many of them have said multiple times just to kind of understand and grasp the topic of energy system training because it is kind of intense stuff that on the first listen, seems confusing and perhaps hard to apply. But as you gain the understanding and listen to the whole series of five podcasts, it starts to make sense. And you start to realize how on any given day, you can employ this conceptual model to make your workouts more effective. So the fact that the word has spread so dramatically just in the last, you know, one to three years, and I hear coaches everywhere talking about uh, energy system training now, uh, that's great, you know, and I'm excited to help bring that topic uh, into the sport a few years ago. And now this podcast, we introduce another topic on sinew training, how to train for stronger, stiffer, higher performing, more robust tendons and ligaments. And this is something that doesn't happen overnight. It's a really long-term adaptation, but it will happen in a meaningful and beneficial way if you're involved in the process. If you're committed to getting stronger tendons and ligaments, you can, but you need to be involved on a daily basis. It's like building a brick wall, one brick at a time, and each day of sinew training and each day that you're kind of thinking about the forces that you're applying or imparting on your tendons and ligaments and how you can play a role in that um, and how the foods and your lifestyle affect that. Each day you're putting down a brick, hopefully a very solid brick that a few months or a few years from now will have built that brick wall of stronger ligaments and tendons. And so that's where we're going with these next few podcasts. And uh, so just like the Energy System podcast, I think this is kind of revolutionary in terms of helping take our game to the next level, our ability as coaches to coach better, to help guide athletes in a direction to developing stronger, higher performing bodies, and all the while reducing the risk of incurring injury while you're on a hangboard or fingerboard or boulder problem or trying to send your project. What could be worse than getting injured? You know, in one of my podcasts last year, I humorously mentioned that the number one rule of Eric's Train Club is don't get injured. Because, you know, our goal in training is to get stronger and to make a more bulletproof body to withstand the rigors of climbing. And climbing is hard on our body. It's hard to think of a sport that's harder on, say, the tendons of the fingers and those annular pulleys, those little ligaments that hold the tendons and guide them through your fingers. What sport is as tough on our fingers and elbows and shoulders than climbing? And so if you get injured, 
huge step backwards in your climbing career or in your weekend warrioring. Um, if you can train and get stronger and not get injured, that pushes you forward. And every year of healthy training, healthy climbing advances you. And I think in this sport where technique and mental training are just as important as physical training, even a middle-aged guy like me can still climb at a very high level. This isn't a sport where you're going to peak or you don't need to peak or have to peak or you aren't held back from advancing beyond your 20s or even 30s. Uh, there are climbers that climb at a really high level. My friend Chuck Odette, age I think 61, still you know, is sending a 514A, a 8B plus every now and then. Uh, and there are other examples like that out there. So, it, But it, it's all about staying healthy. And let's, let me say one more thing on that. Imagine if you're a professional climber training for the Olympics. It happens once every four years, the first time in Tokyo 2020. Of course, there are hundreds of climbers around the world on national climbing teams trying to qualify for the Olympics. And what if you got injured? You know, what if you get a finger pulley injury or um, injure your shoulder or develop tendinosis in your elbow? Your Olympic dream ends in all likelihood, at least if it's a severe injury. If it's a little tweak, you can probably work through it with some smart training and rehab. But even a setback isn't a good thing because the qualifying is going to occur here in the next few months to get those spots in the 2020 Olympic. So you get where I'm going with this. One injury can ruin or can shatter an Olympic dream. So for a pro climber, it's absolutely essential to do anything and everything in your power to reduce injury risk while still being able to train and climb hard. And same goes even for a weekend warrior like myself, or perhaps you, staying healthy is really important to, you might say, our happiness, because we look forward to those weekend trips so much. We train for them. In some cases, we build our week around those weekend climbing trips or those evening bouldering outings. And so you get an injury that takes you off the playing field, prevents you from climbing for a few weeks or a few months, that's a big deal. You might miss a season. And even if you don't miss a season, you have to reduce your training. Even if it's a little tweak, if you're smart, you reduce your training and try to get it to heal rather than become a chronic injury or something that actually gets worse and does force you out of climbing. So these are important topics that aren't talked a lot about by coaches and aren't perhaps addressed so well in books, you know, like my training for climbing book does have a chapter on injuries, but it's more about what do you do when you get injured? But what about this whole idea or concept of things you can do in training to strengthen the tendons, the ligaments, make your joints stronger and hopefully more robust and bulletproof to reduce injury risk. And so this is just, um, it's a topic I've been so excited to share with you. I've, like I said, been studying this for two years, the research. The last year I've started to formulate my ideas and develop this new brand, Fizzy Vantage, which I just launched and I'll tell you more about later on. 
And and now it's time to to pass it on to you guys. Um, you are kind of in the know if you listen to the Training for Climbing podcast. You're hearing stuff from me now that maybe a year or two from now, a lot of coaches will be talking about, but you guys are getting it, let's say, ahead of the masses. So you are kind of um, in the Training for Climbing club, you might say. You know, I mentioned earlier that there's been a lot of information written over my lifetime, you know, the last 50 years on training for muscle strength and power and endurance. I have a bookshelf full of exercise physiology textbooks, various levels from high school to college to graduate level books on motor learning and performance and the science and practice of strength training and explosive power and strength training. And I've read hundreds of research papers on physical fitness training and muscle training and the molecular signaling and the adaptations that result. And, you know, all of that led up to those energy system podcasts that I presented a year ago and the chapter in my book on energy system training for climbers in the third edition of Training for Climbing. But, you know, you open up those textbooks, those exercise physiology textbooks, and you don't find much written about tendons and ligaments. You'll find general statements of fact, like tendons connect muscle to bone and ligaments connect bone to bone. And you'll also tend to read that things like after adolescence, Tendons and ligaments are basically fixed connective tissues that change very little between ages, say, 17 and 70 through our adult life. And there's just not much more written about adaptations within tendons and ligaments, except in the context of, say, recovery from injury or recovery from surgery. These tissues, of course, do become more metabolically active in those situations and do have the ability to recover, albeit slowly, from those types of severe injuries. But in terms of day-to-day changes within the sinew, uh, there's very little written. It's almost like it's settled science. You know, but this whole thing of settled science is a myth. Uh, You hear it a lot in the media with regard to various topics, but when you're dealing with a complex topic, the science is never settled. It might be in the mind of a politician or a lazy doctor or a naive coach, but complex topics, in this case, tendon training, even muscle training, which has been written extensively about, but we're still learning new things. The researchers are still breaking new ground. And so with regard to climbing and coaching, uh, you have to stay curious. In fact, the best individuals at anything, but again, in the case of climbing, the, you know, when I run into the, the, the top pro climbers and talk with them, they ask a lot of questions. They are intensely curious individuals because they realize they don't know it all and that part of what's maybe going to get them to the next level in climbing or get them to win a World Cup is something they don't currently know or understand, or maybe something they're unclear on that needs clarified. So they are curious individuals. And uh, so are top coaches and top doctors and top athletes in any sport or in any career path. 
the peak performers are intensely curious. They're innovative. They're constantly synthesizing new information. They're trying to uh, personally come to a higher level of understanding on the key topics to their endeavor. Kind of looking for the key to unlock the next level of performance. And so, again, if you're listening to this podcast, I think you're one of those curious people that probably listens to a lot of podcasts and reads a lot of books and internet articles. And, you know, of course, we all know that there's a lot of bad information out there. So you have to be quite savvy and hopefully be able to think critically about the material you know, what you're seeing. It might look great on the surface. It might look impressive in a video, but is it really the right thing for you? Is it actually even effective? Even the things that I present in this podcast, which are mostly science-based, you need to think critically about, you know, how it relates to you and go from there. But what I will tell you is my two-year study on this topic of sinew training and sinew health, um, I did read a phenomenal amount of research, almost all of it published in the last 10 years, and much of it published in the last three years, and some of it not even published yet. I've been able to get my hands on some pre-publication drafts of ongoing projects. Um, And so these podcasts today and the next three are based as, as much as can be on hard science. But again, it's not settled. So everything I'm going to pass on to you here is subject to uh, an amendment, I guess you might say, Uh, or I'm reserving the right to change my opinion on any given statement. But uh, if I'm passing it on to you, I have a pretty high level of confidence that we're on the right track. These things are effective and kind of the preponderance of the evidence has given me a high level of confidence that these techniques will work. And uh, whether it's a training modality or a nutritional intervention, you are not going to waste your time if you begin to integrate this information into your training and into your lifestyle. And, you know, uh, some of the leading researchers are here in the United States, like Keith Barr. um, And there's a researcher at Penn State, Clark, who did a, a neat study that I've tapped into. And uh, you know, Denmark is kind of a hotbed of research on this topic. Magnuson and Kajar and Svensson and uh, Greg Shaw in Australia, also Real and Purdom and Cook, they're all icons in this field of tendinopathy and uh, changes in sinew over time, aging, and as a result of uh, pathology or training adaptations. So there's a lot of information, and I've actually distilled it into a white paper. Uh, I've written my own, it's about a 10,000-word paper that kind of summarizes all of my findings. I I don't have it available to share with you yet, um, but uh, I've given it to a few uh, athletes that I work closely with, a few coaches that I work closely with, and even a few doctors and surgeons who I'm friends with and I learn a lot from. All of these folks are kind of my friends of Fizzy Vantage. Um, And they're providing feedback and they're utilizing the information. And if you visit my new website, fizzyvantage.com, there are portions of the paper excerpt there under a heading called Science. So you can uh, click and read through that material and get a sense of some of the topics, some of the areas we're going to drill down 
in these next few podcasts. And today will be kind of the very beginning of that. So again, this podcast, an introduction to a topic we're going to explore deeply in the next three podcasts. But I guess what I want to give you in terms of kind of key points and maybe some actionable material are uh, three tips or three, let's say, findings of my two years of research. And so we're going to go through those and spend a few minutes on each, and then we'll wrap up this podcast. Okay, so on we go to finding number one, and that is simply in three words, tendons are plastic, or let's say sinew is plastic, because we're not just talking about tendons, but also ligaments here, um, and those little uh, annular pulleys, which are small ligaments in your fingers that are so critical to climbing, they are plastic, meaning they're not made of petroleum products, but plastic in a uh, physiological sense in that they're changeable and they can be degraded or strengthened as a result of mechanical loading, the volume, the frequency, the nature of the loading, and by other things such as nutrition and lifestyle. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, traditionally, tendons and ligaments and Also, the extracellular matrix, I haven't talked about that yet, but the uh, ECM, the matrix within the muscle, is kind of a scaffold system. It's made of collagen, the same material that tendons and ligaments are made out of. And it used to be thought of as just kind of a shell that encases the contractile fibers. But we now know that it is actually fundamental to force transfer within the muscles. And so the stronger and the stiffer uh, that scaffolding is, the more quickly force can be transferred to tendon, to bone, making you stronger and more powerful. So again, traditionally, these structures were viewed as being relatively static and inert and changing little after the adolescence growth spurt. So throughout your adult life, it was believed there was little you could do to make your tendons and ligaments and ECM stronger and stiffer and higher performing. But that's not true. You know, this classic view of these structures as just mechanical bands that don't respond to training nutrition, emerging research is showing that ought to be false. And over the last decade, researchers have discovered that, in fact, tendons and these intracellular connective tissues are, in fact, kind of a smart tissue. They can, uh, the, the tenocytes within the tendons, uh, the fibroblasts within these collagen structures can sense and adapt to mechanical loading in a number of ways. So just as muscle fibers, contractile fibers, respond to training, so do these connective tissues. But in a much different way, the uh, training interventions and nutritional interventions are distinctly different. So the things you are doing to make your muscles stronger, the contractile fibers stronger and quicker to contract, they're not necessarily the things that make your tendons stiffer and stronger or your ligaments and ECM stiffer and stronger. And so coaches and athletes must now recognize that there are distinct training modalities and even completely different nutritional interventions to address connective tissues rather than the muscle fibers. So 
a, a smart climber who's doing all the right things in muscle training and all the things right in terms of nutrition after training to strengthen muscles, they aren't necessarily doing the right things for their connective tissues. And hence, muscles can get stronger and more powerful. The connective tissues are left behind. And what results? Injury. You get tendonitis. You get a little bit of a flexor tendon injury or a finger annular pulley, like the classic A2 pulley injury. These things that develop slowly, they might become apparent on a specific day where they seem to get tweaked. But that problem has been building or the collagen fibrils are degrading and becoming disorganized over a period of time leading up to the moment that you realize the tweak or incur the injury. And so uh, I hope you're getting a sense of the importance of this topic and the benefits of embracing this new conceptual model where we need to also train the sinew and feed the sinew in a distinctly different way than how we train and recover muscle. Again, most of this material is research-based. It's coming out of some of the world's top biophysics labs. This is not studies that I've done, obviously. I've been using the material and synthesizing the material and trying to figure out how to best apply it to climbers to help athletes I work with and to help you climb better and be stronger and resist injury. But the work is being done on engineered ligaments, on animal models, uh, in vitro techniques, elite athlete case studies with athletes in major professional sports, rugby, football, soccer, baseball. Again, this has been developing for the last three to five years, but we're pretty far down the path to the point that we know this stuff works. We know it's something that's very valuable to a passionate athlete, a hard training athlete, or you, the passionate hard training climber. And so the first finding is realizing that tendons and ligaments are plastic and that distinct training and nutritional interventions can significantly influence how these tissues remodel and strengthen in response to the training that you do. Here's something for you to ponder. The state of your tendons and ligaments today is a result of your loading history, all of the things you've done up to this point in terms of training, and also breaks from training. That also affects sinew strength and health. Past injuries, genetics, medications you may be taking, and yes, your nutrition and other lifestyle factors all contribute to the state of your connective tissues today. Okay, so now let's move on to finding number two. And that is that not only do tendons adapt to training, but in a way similar, but much more slowly than muscle, tendons can hypertrophy. They can actually grow thicker. Now, this is a very slow adaptation, and it takes just the right amount of chronic loading to result in tendon hypertrophy. But it's been well documented. For instance, runners, the patella tendon and the Achilles tendons are thicker than those of non-runners. 
um, athletes that tend to have a leading leg, like a fencer uh, or a badminton player, uh, the leading leg has a thicker patella tendon, a more hypertrophied tendon than the trailing leg because of the loading that is chronically imparted on that leading leg. And even in climbers, yes, climbers' tendons can hypertrophy. Um, now, they can swell as a result of injury. That's one of the responses to a highly stressed tendon is it actually um, uh, takes on more water and uh, increases the cross-sectional area as kind of a response to spread out the load over a larger cross-sectional area. But that aside, long-term tendon hypertrophy is a real thing. Thomas Hochholzer, the uh, German doctor and researcher, documented, I think it was more than a decade ago in a, a study, a published paper that veteran climbers exhibited a significant finger flexor tendon hypertrophy up to 50% thicker than, uh, let's say, recreational climbers or non-climbers. And so that's a long-term adaptation that resulted over, say, a decade, perhaps, or more of climbing. But again, it's that whole idea of you are building your tendons, the quality of your tendons and ligaments and muscle matrix is being built a brick at a time every single day, every single workout, every single climbing outing, what you do to your tendons in terms of mechanical loading, and also what you do in terms of lifestyle. And there's a genetic factor and there's a nutritional factor. All of those things determine the quality of the bricks, you might say, that you are laying down in building your wall, your metaphorical brick wall. That is the process of increasing collagen content and cross-linking that results in stronger, stiffer, and slightly thicker tendons over a long period of chronic loading. So while the adolescent body, and we could talk about a youth climber, I have two of them in my house, uh, in those adolescent bodies, they're prolific at laying down new collagen, uh, turnover of collagen, and again, that's the primary thing that comprises tendons and ligaments is collagen. It's something on the order of 70 to 80 percent of the dry weight of sinew is collagen, though physiologically they are highly hydrated so that sinew is mostly made up of collagen and water. Anyhow, in adults, this turnover of collagen happens much more slowly. So, in a similar fashion to the hypertrophy of muscles, the tendon hypertrophy, this very slow thickening and stiffening of tendons and ligaments and the extracellular matrix of the muscles, it's a process of a slow degradation that results from training and then a regeneration to regain homeostasis and to attain a slightly stronger state than before. And so, it's kind of the same process. Your workouts, your mechanical loading of the tendons affects the, the structure ever so slightly, sets kind of this turnover process in motion, or you might say accelerates 
the ongoing turnover process, the collagen turnover process throughout our bodies is ongoing. You know, by the way, uh, an older climber like myself, as your skin begins to wrinkle, that is uh, partially a result of slowing collagen turnover. Um, and so if your skin is wrinkling, that's evidence of slower collagen turnover due to aging and your tendons similarly begin to degrade just as a result of aging. Uh, and there are other adaptations within the tendons that often result as a result of aging. These bad type of crosslinks called advanced glycation end products, which you'll learn about in an upcoming podcast. There are things, natural aging processes that do kind of lead us down the path of aging tendons, of aging sinew and decreased performance and increased risk of injury. You know, one of the common catastrophic injuries of hardworking middle-aged men, including some climbers, is a biceps tendon tear. Um, and now while the loading history up to that point is likely influential in precipitating that injury, it's also not by coincidence that it occurs more in midlife than earlier on. And so in any case, um, this process of slight degradation as a result of mechanical loading and then a return to homeostasis and a slight strengthening beyond that is the same process that muscles go through, but it's a much slower process. And again, the cells at play, the molecular biology at work within sinew is very different from within muscles. The blood flow to sinew is a fraction of that to muscles. You know, a large part of tendon and ligament is avascular, virtually blood-starved, oxygen-starved. There is some flow, and it does increase slightly during exercise, but not in the way that blood flow ramps up in muscle tissue during exercise, and by the way, stays elevated for hours after exercise, that continuing blood flow to, to the contractile fibers within the muscles, that capillary flow, stays elevated for hours after exercise. And so when you consume your post-workout meal, the nutrition is getting to the muscles. But tendons and ligaments don't really benefit in that same way. They get their nutrition largely through a different pathway that I'll tell you more about in just a bit. But long-term, with disciplined training, with the appropriate amount of training and the appropriate amount of rest, your tendons and ligaments will become stronger and stiffer over months and years of training. Again, it's a brick wall that takes a long time to build. It doesn't get built overnight. It doesn't get built in a week or a month. But you need to invest in laying those bricks day to day with your training, nutrition, lifestyle, um, and just having a smart overall program of uh, training stimulus and recovery periods. So while youth climbers are blessed with rapid collagen turnover and synthesis, uh, they are literally growing stronger tendons year over year through their growth spurt years. You know, by the way, this is a great reason um, why I believe this new generation, like my sons who began climbing at a very young age 
and climb throughout their growth spurt years and, and are uh, mechanically loading the finger tendons, the arm and shoulder tendons and ligaments, uh, very specific to climbing, they are going to enter adulthood with stronger tendons and ligaments than the average adult, than an adult who gets into climbing at, say, age 20 or 30 or 40 and did no climbing in their youth. And so I would anticipate reduced incidence of injury among those youth climbers, again, assuming uh, proper training, proper nutrition. And again, genetics is a factor we'll explore in a future podcast as well, because there are something on the order of 100 genes that are involved in collagen synthesis. And at least five have been identified uh, that you can track in DNA tests that uh, correlate to incidence of injury. So that's always a factor as well. But uh, for an adult climber, and most people listening to this podcast are likely adult climbers, uh, it's a slow process. As best as I can tell from my studies, after an intense workout, a day of hard bouldering, hard roped climbing, uh, fingerboard training, campus training, those things that are really hard on the tendons, where the tendons are used to store and release energy, uh, which is you know, essential to dynamic movements, dead pointing and lunging. It takes 48 to 72 hours, perhaps more, for return to homeostasis. So doing intensive workouts on back to back days or back to back to back days, high volumes of intense climbing on consecutive days is something that can lead you to a homeostasis perturbation and lead you down the path of eventually developing injury. It may not happen on any given day, but again, you're um, degrading the tissue. Uh, the collagen fibers are becoming misaligned and uh, potentially will result in a mild reactive tendinopathy of the finger, the arm, the shoulder, some tendon pain, joint pain, and perhaps at some point on a hard move or on a hard exercise, you'll unfortunately succumb to an injury such as an A2 pulley tear uh, or some other climbing-related injury. And there's probably a dozen common injuries that have been documented among climbers in the upper body. Uh, and so kind of the first thing you need to realize is, you know, intense training on back-to-back days is a bad thing. Sure, you can get away with it on occasion. Sure, you can climb two hard days in a row at the crags, but it shouldn't be your MO. Um, if you're one of those genetically blessed climbers, you can abuse your tendons and do intense training and just never seem to get injured. And then there's the not-so-blessed folks in terms of those genes that influence sinew health, and you may get injured very easily. And if you experience recurrent injuries, perhaps there's a genetic predisposition, or perhaps you just train too much and rest too little, and there may be other lifestyle and nutritional things that predispose you as well that we will cover in upcoming podcasts. But try to limit those most intensive workouts to single days. Uh, You can exercise on two consecutive days. Just do something different. If you do a maximum strength and power workout one day, do an aerobic climbing workout the next day. And so the back-to-back stress on the connective tissues is much different. 
and uh, is less likely to lead to that homeostasis perturbation and hopefully will allow you to continue to lay solid bricks and get the net synthesis of collagen in the black, in the positive. Again, the workout results in collagen degradation. The rest and recovery and nutrition helps spur on collagen synthesis that plays out over two or three days after the intense workout. And with appropriate training and appropriate rest, you have a net synthesis which means a slightly stronger and, depending on the training, perhaps stiffer and higher performing tendon as well. Okay, so we're going to finish things up here with my third finding of my two-year study of sinew health and adaptations to training and even nutritional interventions uh, that can affect sinew health and, over the long term, build stronger, stiffer higher performing tendons. And so uh, this third finding is that there are specific nutritional interventions that can promote collagen synthesis and have been shown to improve tendon health and accelerate return to sport after injury. And so this is something that I think five years ago, if you would have told me there's evidence of a nutritional intervention that you could do to improve tendon health, I'd say, what is it? There's just no compelling scientific evidence. There might be snake oil out there, products that are being sold that say they support tendons, but where is the scientific evidence of increased collagen synthesis in sinew as a result of a nutritional intervention? that is coupled with training. Today, I can tell you that evidence exists. Now, it's in the early stages. There's about a half a dozen studies that specifically address this topic. In vitro, in vivo, some preclinical and clinical studies, and a number of uh, case studies with elite athletes recovering from catastrophic injuries, such as ACL tears, or chronic injuries, such as patella or Achilles tendinopathy. And the preponderance of the evidence is that there are nutritional interventions that can accelerate collagen synthesis and speed recovery from a hard workout or from an injury. And when utilized over the long term, along with appropriate training, can help a hard training athlete, such as a climber, develop stronger, stiffer tendons and ligaments that will enhance performance and hopefully reduce injury risk. So let me tell you what the findings are. And, you know, the backstory on all this requires a much more detailed explanation that I'm not going to get in depth into here. It's some very interesting work that began with engineered ligaments and tendons in the lab where they actually took human remnants from an ACL, a torn ACL during surgery, um, take those tissue cells into a lab and grow a ligament and tendon between two kind of artificial bone posts and then exercise the tendon and apply various nutritional interventions. And I believe there's been more than 1,000 of these engineered 
ligaments, and tendons grown and studied with different exercise and nutritional interventions. And so this is amazing stuff, at least to me. It was these in vitro studies, these engineered ligaments and tendons, that is the genesis of this new technology, what you're learning about here today when it comes to the nutritional intervention side of things. In the lab, they found they could grow these tendons faster. They could um, double collagen synthesis or perhaps quadruple collagen synthesis. And then they began to do studies within humans, which is much more difficult when you're dealing with tendons and ligaments. It's easy to do muscle studies, but for a number of reasons, it's a lot tougher to do studies of sinew in human beings because uh, if you stick a needle in to do a biopsy, the tendon responds to that needle stick and actually uh, becomes more active as a result of that. So when you go back to do a retest later, you've changed the tendon just by um, piercing it for a needle biopsy. Doing that in muscles, you don't have that problem. And so muscles are easy to do studies on, tendons much more difficult in humans. But there are workarounds. There are ways to look for markers of collagen synthesis in the blood of an athlete um, and to do case studies. And that's the type of work that's been built above and beyond those initial engineered tendon and ligament model studies. So cutting to the chase, it's Keith Barr and Greg Shaw, who are two of the leaders in the field, uh, have found that consuming a vitamin C-enriched hydrolyzed collagen, a very high-quality collagen peptide product enriched with vitamin C before ligament and tendon training, they found that to be the linchpin to their protocol that doubled collagen synthesis after exercise. Now, there are a variety of gelatin and collagen products on the market, but almost none of them have vitamin C enrichment, and most of them are incomplete proteins. They contain no tryptophan, and they are quite low in the important branch chain amino acids. They're sold as hair and nails and skin collagen for grandma, and perhaps they work for that. There's some evidence it's so-so in terms of its rigor and how compelling it is. But there's no research that shows that this generic collagen product enhances collagen synthesis in tendons and ligaments, at least based on the work of these gentlemen. However, vitamin C-enriched hydrolyzed collagen has been shown, and it's been done in repeatable studies to double collagen synthesis after exercise. So this is exciting news for climbers because we are hard on our tendons, perhaps harder than almost any other athlete or sport. And one of the keys here to their findings was this vitamin C-enriched collagen needs to be consumed before exercise. Now, traditionally, athletes, especially strength power athletes, strength to weight ratio athletes, we like to perform with an empty stomach. You don't want to eat a big meal before going climbing or bouldering or campus training or sprinting or jumping or doing any strength power sport, gymnastics, you name it. We tend to eat our big meals, our carbohydrate, our proteins, our healthy fats after exercise. And that's great for recovering muscles because we talked earlier about the sustained blood flow to muscles after exercise. 
but tenons don't have that sustained blood flow. They have very little blood flow to start with, and though it does increase slightly during exercise, it does not stay elevated after exercise. And so to get nutrients, and specifically this vitamin C-enriched collagen, which is, by the way, very rich in glycine and proline and hydroxyproline, those three amino acids comprise almost two-thirds of collagen. And so the branched-chain amino acids, which are important building blocks for muscle fibers, though still important for sinew, it's the glycine, the proline, the hydroxyproline that are the building blocks for connective tissues, and thus more important to consume if you're interested in, let's say, feeding your tendons and ligaments and joints the materials they need to regenerate. So without blood flow, how do tendons and ligaments receive their nutrition? Again, I'm not saying they don't get a little bit via blood flow, but more so the nutrients are drawn into the sinew primarily by synovial fluid diffusion as a result of mechanical loading. And so think of the tendon. You know, it's made up primarily of collagen and it has a high water content. And when you mechanically load a tendon, if you grip a finger hold or grab a campus board rung and forcefully load your finger tendons and ligaments. As the tendon and ligament is weighted, some fluid is actually squeezed out of the tendon. Imagine squeezing a sponge and the water coming out of the sponge. That's what happens when you mechanically load a tendon. And then when you let go, the fluid flows back in to the tendon or ligament, like letting go of a sponge you've been squeezing. If you place it into a bucket of water and let go, the sponge fills up with water. So that fluid flow in and out of the tendon, the synovial fluid moving in and out of the tendon during mechanical loading is the primary method of transporting nutrients into the sinew. And so food that you consume after exercise isn't so available. The amino acids from, let's say you eat a steak or a piece of chicken or a, a, a great vegetarian meal after exercise to feed your muscle. Well, it'll get to the muscle. There's blood flow to muscle after exercise. But unless you're mechanically loading your tendons again after dinner, those nutrients aren't making it so effectively into the spots that you really want to get them to, those tendons and ligaments. And so what doctors Barr and Shaw discovered is that you have to feed the tissue, this vitamin C-enriched hydrolyzed collagen before exercise, 30 to 60 minutes before exercise. And that raises the blood concentration of glycine and proline and hydroxyproline, those three really important amino acids that are rich in collagen, not so rich in other foods. And so that is the ultimate food to feed your sinew before exercise. You consume it 30 to 60 minutes before exercise, not as a big meal, but as a supplement, ideally on an empty stomach. And 45 minutes later, your blood levels are spiking, and that is the time you want to mechanically load your tendons. And it could be just a short workout. Let me tell you my 
Daily ritual. I wake up in the morning, brew my coffee, and stir one scoop of supercharged collagen into the coffee, and then drink the coffee while I'm at the computer checking email and catching up on the news of the day. And then about 30 minutes later, I head down into the basement climbing gym where my hangboard is and my dumbbells are, and I do a few basic exercises for my fingers, elbows, and shoulders. And the whole exercise routine takes me at most 15 minutes. And so I'm not doing a massive workout. I'm not doing one-arm hangboarding or double dyno campusing. I'm doing just enough mechanical loading to direct the glycine, the proline, and the hydroxyproline into the sinew of my fingers, elbows, and shoulders so that they can be absorbed and utilized to help spur on that collagen synthesis. So doing this in the morning before work or school, we're talking about just a 15-minute protective training session, 30 minutes after consuming vitamin C-enriched supercharged collagen, and you spur on this process. You, you lay down some solid bricks in your metaphorical wall, your tendons and ligaments. And then you go about your day, and then perhaps you go to a climbing gym and do your main workout of the day in the afternoon or evening. Again, ideally consuming another dose of vitamin C-enriched supercharged collagen 30 to 60 minutes beforehand. So once again, you will have the high levels of glycine and proline and hydroxyproline circulating through your bloodstream up to clinically relevant levels to bring about the adaptations and the response that has been shown in lab studies to double collagen synthesis and in human studies to improve sinew health. And if you do this day after day for weeks and months, you'll become a stronger, more healthy climber, at least in terms of your connective tissues. The science is pretty much there. It's not 100%, but remember what I said at the start of the podcast? Science is never settled. This is still, you know, it hasn't been fully eludicated. There are ongoing studies as we speak. But there's enough evidence there that uh, indicates we're on the right path. And if it's being used with professional athletes, athletes being paid millions of dollars a year, you know it works. Those pro athletes are the early adapters of new technology, no matter what it is. If you're making $10 million a year playing football or baseball, or if a team has invested that in you, they are doing everything in their power. They are tapping into every bit of science available to help their athletes become uh, injury-proof or to return from injury to play so they can realize that investment into the athlete. Climbers aren't quite making that much money. I think the pros should be, but we're not there yet as a sport. Uh, But they similarly uh, needing to be strong and healthy. And as I mentioned earlier, not miss the Olympics or you not miss your weekend outings that mean so much to you. Anything you can do to build stronger, stiffer sinew will help you be a more effective climber, a more bulletproof climber. And so these are the exciting topics we're going to explore in much greater depth in the coming months. But I've given you three what I feel are compelling findings of the research. And so now you can ponder this new information and hopefully put it to work and begin to integrate and uh, think about every single day as you're training as you're recovering, as you're consuming nutrients, you are playing a role in your tendon health. 
No longer can we view tendons and ligaments as inert structures. You know, you're born with what you got. But the good news, as you learned in this podcast, is that the latest research has shown that this is not the case and that you can, through training and nutrition, have an influence on your sinew health and increase the strength and stiffness and health of your ligaments and tendons if you choose to do so. Okay, my climbing friends, we're now past one hour, so I guess it's time to wrap up this podcast. Like I said, there's a lot more where this came from. We're going to dig deeper, and you're going to learn a lot more about the science of developing stronger tendons and ligaments, climbing better, and developing a more bulletproof body. And as I mentioned earlier, as part of my research into this topic, kind of organically, I started a new business. I saw the value in this new technology, in this science, and I wanted to bring it first to myself, my family, and my training clients. And then I figured, why not make these great products available to climbers around the world? And so the past year, I've developed two nutritional products. There are more on the way that will be launched later this year. The brand is called Fizzy Vantage. I encourage you to check it out. We are on Facebook. And uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Fizzy Vantage. And you can learn a lot more about the company, the science behind the company, the stuff that I presented to you today in this podcast. There's a lot more of that to be found on the Fizzy Vantage website. And you can find links to all of this information in the show notes. To kind of wrap things up, I just want to spend a minute or two and tell you about our flagship product. It's called Supercharged Collagen. It is a first-of-its-kind tendon and ligament support supplement, and it's based on the research of Keith Barr and Greg Shaw, who I mentioned earlier in this podcast. Their in vitro and human studies have shown that consumption of vitamin C-enriched hydrolyzed collagen before targeted exercise doubles the markers of collagen synthesis. And numerous professional athlete case studies have shown using this formula to accelerate return to competition after injury. Based on this research, here at Fizzy Vantage, we developed from scratch our own formula. We call it supercharged collagen. And this proprietary formula augments top-grade hydrolyzed collagen with vitamin C and L-leucine to increase collagen synthesis and anabolic signaling. Rich in collagen-building amino acids, glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, supercharged collagen is further enhanced with L-tryptophan. This makes it a complete protein source that provides all the essential amino acids. So not only does supercharged collagen support and promote tendon collagen synthesis, but it is also a useful and beneficial product for contractile muscle fibers as well. The bottom line, supercharged collagen is the most advanced connective tissue support supplement available to hard training athletes like rock climbers, like you, like me. So who can benefit from the supercharged collagen? Well, certainly elite climbers who are in search of higher muscle efficiency and power in the next grade or a World Cup win. Of course, all climbers who desire to accelerate tendon strengthening and reduce injury risk, they will benefit. Injured climbers who are committed to hastening rehabilitation and return to peak performance. Youth climbers who 
are prone to growth plate finger pain or injury. And finally, any master's athlete, I guess someone like me, who wants to accelerate recovery between days of climbing or between workouts and support strong tendons and ligaments and reduce joint pain and combat the dreaded sarcopenia. So please visit physivantage.com. That's P-H-Y-S-I-V-A-N-T-A-G-E. And since you're listening to this podcast, I will tell you that you can save 10% off your order by using the code SAVE10, S-A-V-E-1-0, SAVE10 at checkout. I got to tell you, I am so excited to share this technology and these products with you and to make you part of the Fizzy Vantage team so that you can come to know the benefits of our product line. Well, folks, that does it for this epic episode of the Training for Climbing podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Until next time, be safe, be strong, and climb on.